Let's all join together and pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. Can you guys help me evaluate a preaching tactic this morning? You up for that? You ready? Here's how we're going to do it. All right. I want you to rate, thank you, I want you to rate the change of behavior effectiveness of a couple lines of preaching. And we're going to do a scale of one to five, one being don't do it, that's bad, awful, five being yes, that is absolutely great. So after I say the couple lines, you can put your hand in the air again, one bad, five really good. All right, ready for the first little bit? Here we go. You snakes who do you think you are coming here all you do is come and give me excuses and excuses aren't going to be good enough you snakes preaching change of behavior kind of effectiveness what do you think put your hand in the air one to five Ooh. interesting very interesting you're gonna have some fun discussions after this all right, here's the second one. You ready? <coughs> you people are greedy with your money. Like, you are greedy, greedy with your money. In fact, you've got so much stuff that even if you give away half of what you have, because there are some people who don't have anything, you need to do it because you need to help other people. Change of behavior effectiveness to make people a little bit less greedy. One to five, what do you think? Interesting. Last one. Probably going to hit a little bit harder for some of you. <coughs> it's hard for me, even for me to say it, but you're a sad excuse for a soldier. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. That, that makes me feel better. You take the power and the authority that you have and you just abuse it. Instead of using what you have for good and to help people and do your job honorably, in fact, you're taking people's money with that power and authority. You need to step up and make a change because that is not okay. One to five, what do you think? Ooh, okay. All right, now what I want you guys to do is picture yourself being the person who stands up in front and not just like a test, but actually saying those words to crowds of people for real. Can you picture yourself being the one that people are traveling for days out into the wilderness to come meet? And you're the one that has to confront them with their flaws. You're the one who has to deliver that kind of news to those people. Whether you think that is effective preaching style or not, I don't think that's a job many of us are jumping up and down to take. From what we can piece together about John the Baptist and John the Baptist's life from the books of the Bible that we call the Gospels, kind of what I did was a lot of what John the Baptist did for real. And he meant those kinds of things. He spent months calling people out for their sins, encouraging those people that they needed to make a change in life. 
got at John the Baptist preaching repentance almost exclusively because Jesus was coming soon and people just weren't ready. On a scale of one to five, how comfortable would you be in doing that and sharing that kind of message? Yeah. I bet only if you're thinking that you're going to be further and like able to do that kind of thing. I bet it's only because you kind of understand the benefits of pushing outside your comfort zone. Pushing past your boundaries does bring change to your life. When you're afraid of heights, but you go on the tallest roller coaster that you can find, you learn what it's like to manage fear. If you're a socially reserved person and you can almost count on one hand how many times you've interacted with strangers, but then you join Toastmasters International and you start giving speeches to big groups of people, you discover that you can grow life skills that you never thought possible before. American food is fine food, nothing wrong with it, but once you start eating international food, you discover flavors and tastes on a whole new level. Push past your comfort zone, and you're going to learn progress happens. Repentance is going to push you outside what you're comfortable with. Part of repentance is that you are going to be confronted with your flaws and your failures and your stubborn-headed opinions of morality that are just wrong. Part of repentance is somebody like John telling you what you're not ready to hear and to listen to what else God has to tell you. How comfortable are you and I when we have to hear stuff like that? This is the kind of thing that makes us so uncomfortable that even if it's not toward us, even if it's for somebody else, we don't even want to be in the same room that this is going on. Because we like the comfortable, the easy, the nobody-can-tell-us-that-we're-wrong kind of life. It shows itself when we ignore the moral issues that we know we're on the wrong side of, how we turn the focus onto somebody else and their problems that our society thinks are big and bad problems, when we hold on to the sins that we know we need to let go. And then we don't even listen, even if it's somebody who loves us telling us that we need to make a change. You and I are just like the people at Isaiah's time. We pick up his words today at the second half of the entire book. So chapters 1 to 39 are the first half, 40 is the second half. And we got to understand what the first half basically was. It's him saying, you're messing up. If you don't change your ways, your life is going to be ruined. You are going to lose everything you've got. And I'm going to be able to describe for you what that life is going to look like. But instead of listening, the people ignored God's warning. They wanted the comfort of life without God's morals as a standard. And they turned away from him. So much so that God would send the nation of Babylon to practically wipe the people off the face of the earth. Only a remnant few were left after that. Most were killed or deported. But there would be some. Some who cared. Some who actually listened. 
some who were ready to admit their failures. God moves some to live lives of repentance, to turn away from sin. And then he gave them something to hold on to. And that is the other half of repentance, that we hold tightly onto God's promise of forgiveness, holding on to the real hope of a Savior. That's the background of these words from Isaiah. And he starts out, here's what God wants you to hold on to. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. How? Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's already received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So how does comfort happen for people like you and me who are messed up? It points forward to what John the Baptist was doing. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. In repentance, God gives comfort. When you turn away from sin, God is turning you back to him. God is preparing your heart to celebrate the good news of a Savior come to forgive you. Comfort for sinners like you and me happens when sinners are simply ready to cling on to Jesus. And what does God say? Comfort, comfort my people. Now we get the idea of comfort, don't we? It's the comfort food when you're sad. The mac and cheese the peanut butter sandwich, the bucket of your favorite flavor of ice cream. You can be having the worst day possible, and then you eat some of that food, and you feel a little bit better. Comfort looks like your bed at home. It does not matter if we're 2 or 82. There's just something about that bed. You can tell when you're on the move. Hotels and family guest rooms just aren't it. The pillows aren't right. The mattress is rock hard or more like a ball of fluff. But your bed, your pillow at home, those are just right. Those help. Comfort can even come from a place. Just being on a specific piece of dirt or a special area of ocean helps. When you're there, life is simple. Life is good. It's where you dream of being when you're not there. Even a place in our world can comfort. If you and I get earthly comforts and understand the blessings and benefits of those things so well, then I think we can start to understand how awesome God's spiritual comfort is too, right? This is where Isaiah starts to move into a little bit later. He helps us get a proper spiritual perspective all people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. God's spiritual comfort for our hearts isn't a partial or half-time thing. It endures it outlasts even our lives 
his comfort is a thing that's just above us. And he takes comforting us personally. Did you hear how God describes how he does it? He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Like we hug our little kids. Like we snuggle on the couch with our pets as we watch TV. God holds us close to him and his heart, and he leads us gently. Do you want to be ready for Christmas? It's really as simple as the kids saying yes to those things. Get ready for comfort. Trust that the gift of Jesus is going to be better than any other gift you get this year. Know that the forgiveness of sins that God does give you for real soothes your soul. Start seeing yourself in the way that God sees you because of what Jesus came to do as someone he values enough to come into this world and to die for. If you want to be ready for his birth and celebrating his birth, then go back to your spiritual birth. Whether it was decades ago or just a couple months ago, when God gives you the gift of your baptism, he wants it to be a lifelong daily comfort thing. Something you can go back to and lean on when you doubt. Something that is going to give you your true identity in the face of struggles. Baptism is God's powerful way of connecting you with Jesus' forgiveness. Time spent on your baptism is going to be time that God comforts you. Comfort comes right here. When we follow one of God's good commands in a couple minutes, God gives us comfort in a way that we can touch and taste and hold. Here, comfort is going to come to you personally, as God says, for you, for you, for you. Here, comfort gets attached to all these different senses because God really wants you to know again and again and again, you are forgiven. So much comfort is going to happen up here that when you walk away after today, you are going to have a smile on your face. And comfort comes sometimes from the simple, small moments with just one part of God's word. Where it hits you here. And it comforts you by pointing you to Jesus. With God's level of precision, with just the right words at the right time, even just a few moments, and he comforts. Any time you spend in the Bible is time that God is going to point you back to the center and focus of all of it, to Jesus and what Jesus means and how Jesus changes your life here and gives you an eternity of perfect life to look forward to. If you want to be ready for Christmas, get ready for comfort. And it's comfort like that that makes you actually able to lean into the uncomfortable confrontation of your sins. Comfort is how God is going to make real changes of behavior so that you turn away from that sinful life. And more than anything else, after that, you simply hold on to him with all you've got. Want to be ready? Two simple questions. Are you a sinner who needs to turn away from sin? Me too. Are you someone Jesus came to save? Yep. Well, then get ready for comfort because you are ready.
Amen.